This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? Very good, Bryce. We have an official policy here at Equity Mates. Yes. We hate fees. Yes. One of our three official policies. And today we're speaking to someone who's the embodiment of that policy, I guess, making investing cheaper. Our third policy, as well as we hate paperwork, and I hear on the grapevine that it's also a policy of who we're talking to today as well. <laughs> so two out of the three policies yeah, not ain't bad. bad. Not bad. <laughs> but look, it is our pleasure to welcome John Winters to the show. John, Welcome. Thanks for having me. So John is the co-founder and CEO of the freshest broker in town, Superhero. There's a lot of chat going on in our community, John, about what you guys are offering. I think $5 flat brokerage and what, zero on ETF trades? Correct. Yeah. Creating some waves. And as Alex said, we hate fees. So yeah, it's certainly appealing. (laughs) Perfect. So we're going to unpack everything from your journey to, I guess, be the CEO of uh, Superhero, as well as everything that you guys are offering and a bit more of a broader discussion around investing and brokers. But before we do, Ren, you want to kick off the game? Sure. So John, we, we like to start with a bit of a game. Get your thoughts on whether, you know, a few indexes, themes, topics in the investing community are overrated or underrated. So we'll start at home with the ASX 200 index, overrated or underrated? Tricky one. I'd say underrated. Okay. And why is that? I think there's a lot of exposure you can get to the market through the ASX. And yeah, I think a, a lot of people, particularly lately, you know, they've been looking offshore for, for certain exposure, but you, you can get a lot of that exposure here. So Aussie lot, tech. Aussie tech. So overrated or underrated then the NASDAQ, international tech? Sort of hard to back this one up with the same as the Aussie one, but there's a huge amount of demand for for the Nasdaq on on Superhero for Nasdaq index ETFs. Mm. So I'd say it's underrated as well. Mm. US tech. <laughs> US tech. <laughs> so next one, overrated or underrated investing in emerging markets? I reckon it's overrated. Okay. Why yeah, is that? Because you probably look at, at emerging markets for higher growth, you know, maybe, you know, speculative opportunities that are going to produce bigger returns. Mm. If you look at the Aussie tech stocks and the, the US tech stocks, like there's been massive returns yeah. made. And so I don't think you really need to look at taking on significantly more risk to get significantly more return. Mm. So yeah, I'd say. And I mean, even if you look at the performance of emerging markets, they haven't actually done no, amazingly no. well. So. Yeah. And then you look yeah, at the yeah. currencies, there's so many things to consider. Yeah. Yeah. I reckon it's, it's sort of too hard basket. <laughs> <laughs> to the easy basket, overrated or underrated index investing. 
I think it's got a place. It really depends on, on the investor. I think having a portion of your assets well diversified across an index, you can sort of never go wrong. And Warren Buffett's the, the guy who sort of, what was that bet for a million bucks or something? Mm, yeah, yeah, 10 that years, kind of hedge fund manager yeah, from the yeah, index. Yeah. And, and, he, and he won. And, and if you look over time, you know, the market as a whole always outperforms every other asset class. And yeah, if you take a long-term view, you know, index investing, I think, is underrated. Mm. So speaking of an asset class, very different to index investing, overrated or underrated Bitcoin? I reckon it's overrated. And there's going to be lots of people yeah. who are like, oh, no, what are you doing? You can run the same argument that it's just man-made. You can run the same argument over you know, numerous different asset classes, you know, gold. Well, it's, it's, man, it's man-made. It's man-made value. I think people are starting to look at Bitcoin as a store of wealth. Mm. You know, is it right? I think it's going to be interesting how it plays out in terms of distributed ledger technology. Mm. That's what I think is interesting. I don't know if there's actually value in the Bitcoin it. in in it, yeah. I think it as an infrastructure layer, I think is really interesting, and there's probably more value in that over time. Do you have the same sort of feelings towards gold, overrated or underrated? I'd say overrated as well, just because I'm a bullish investor. I think there's always there's always better returns to be made elsewhere. Yeah, fair. Yeah. So one of the things that we really enjoy doing at the start of all episodes is getting an understanding of your very first investment. We often find within the story there's some lessons to be learned. So before we get into your background. Can you share your first investment? The first investment that really sort of sticks in my mind was leading leading up to it. Could have been like sort of right in the thick of the GFC. It was one that I didn't really know what I was doing at all. Like most people, with their <laughs> first <laughs> investment, <laughs> I was buying index warrants because I thought, okay, I can get some leverage here. So if I, you know whatever I put in, you know, I can get some leverage on the index. And the market had dropped five percent, somewhere between three and five percent for three to five days in a row. It was just go whack, whack, whack. And I thought, no, this has got to bottom out here. And I, I bought these index call knockout warrants, which was, <laughs> I had no idea what they were. What and, um, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, no, come on, the market's going to bounce. And, th- and then, it, you know, one day it went up like half a percent. The next day it went down another five. Then it went, th- it just kept dropping. Like it just kept getting worse and worse. I was working for a broker at that time. And, and one of the guys there that was putting the trades on said, all right, you're done. What does that mean? <laughs> he goes, no, you, you, you fin- you, you're, you're out. I was like, no, 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 I just bought them. He goes, no, these are knockout warrants. They, they're worthless. So that was, <laughs> that was the, the first uh, yeah. <laughs> investment that, that I remember. So that, that old saying, do your research, really sort of stuck with me since then. Well, I still don't even know what a, what is it? An index knockout, knockout warrant. Tur- turbo, <laughs> turbo knockout <laughs> warrant. Yeah. I don't even know what that It's is. got low risk written all over it, right? <laughs> turbo call knockout warrant. Yeah. <laughs> Five aware. Yeah, have you have you bought back into them since? Oh, I've never touched them again. I don't even know if they if they're still around. Yeah, right. Yeah, maybe they are. Maybe they aren't. So I guess from that investment to now, have you developed a personal investing philosophy? Yeah, I have. The key thing for me, and I, and I know sometimes it's really difficult to sort of get get an idea of of who management is, who the people are that are running businesses. But for me, if you don't understand where management is trying to go with a business and they are not fully invested in the business themselves, then then there's just red flags all over it. So those are my key, that's my sort of key thing is know management if you can or understand what management's trying to do and make sure they've got some skin in the game. How much skin in the game? 
Bezos has what 10% skin in the game now, but other founders, I imagine, have 100% skin in the game. So some founders would have. Well, they 1%. couldn't. They couldn't have 100% because then you could right, run a share. <laughs> <laughs> 99%. Um, <laughs> you know, I think it's 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 just interesting when, when you look at a company that has introduced a management team that doesn't own any shares, mm. that is making decisions on behalf of you as a, as a shareholder, and, and they have to act in the best interests of all shareholders. But, you know, you can see if their experience or, or their, their motivations are sort of are not there. And, and it, takes a, it takes a bit of time and a fair bit of research to really understand what, what management's trying to achieve. But once you do that, and, and a lot of the time it, that resonates through the market and through the products that they're trying to offer. But once you understand that, that is sort of the first thing that, that I look at. And you can see that with some of the buy now, pay later stocks. The founders have done extremely well themselves. But you understand the product, you understand the reason behind the product and what they're trying to do. And it's a lot of the time it's, you know, the customer first and love the customer. And that sets up the, their motivation across their entire business. Mm. And, you know, thankfully for a lot of people, those have been great investments. Mm. And if you look at some of the companies that haven't really performed, you can sort of look back to management and see that there were underlying issues there. Yeah. Mm. So you're now co-founder and CEO of Superhero, but you have had a pretty storied journey in the finance industry. Are you able to give us a, a bit of a debrief on how you came to be where you are today? Yeah, sure. So I knew I wanted to be in stockbroking. I wanted to be a stockbroker. And, you know, there are a few sort of flashy movies back yeah, in, the, yes. in the 80s and 90s. I was like, oh, that's cool. The Wolf of George. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> some of them, you know, I remember some of them pretty well. But I was introduced to, he was the general manager of the time at, at Shaw Stockbroking, which is now Shaw and Partners. Was introduced to him, had an interview, you know, had a great chat to him. And he said, look, I can't give you a job today, but, you know, call me next week. And this went on for basically three months until the guy was probably sick of me <laughs> and gave me a job. And that was was really the sort of the beginning of my career in stockbroking, private wealth, financial services. And it was interesting to see my first sort of task there was copying client account numbers from one system to another, but you couldn't control C, control V <laughs> it, 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 because the one system was like a DOS system and the other one was marginally better. That was the sort of the beginning of, you know, seeing that this industry is so archaic. Mm. Then moved to Perth, joined Macquarie Bank, another smaller firm, and, and Shaw then opened up in in, in Perth where, where I was living then and was fortunate enough to have a good friend of mine, Larry Diamond, come to me with this great idea to start a buy now, pay later business. <laughs> and um, said, I need some, you know, I need some capital to sort of get this thing off the ground. So the, the business was zip and, and we listed it on the stock market. And did, did you invest when he came to you with the idea? I hope my wife isn't listening, but, but, but we went, we, I literally went all in. Oh. <laughs> no, <laughs> I put nice. every last cent. Um, She'd be happy to hear that yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, now it's okay. Things worked yeah, out yeah, very yeah. well. It has worked out great for you know, myself and, and a number of people and particularly Larry and, you know, and you know, it's really sort of been a major player in inventing a completely new industry. But he went very quickly from four staff members up to, I think they're now about 500 or so. Okay. The staff were coming to me as sort of you know, someone that they could invest through and saying, can we set up an account we want to buy? They wanted to buy Zip shares. So I said, okay, here's an eight-page account form, fill that out, then go down <laughs> to the chemist, get your ID certified, post that up to the office, and in a couple of days I'll be in touch with an account and then, you, you know, and then we can start going. And by the way, there's a minimum $125 brokerage. So I, well, I, only, I only want to 
invest like 500 bucks. Mm. So (laughs) there was a big, there was a major point of friction there. Mm. And that sort of really triggered the whole, the whole journey into superhero where we wanted to make investing more accessible to particularly those people, but more understandable as well. A lot of people just didn't understand how to get started, where to get started, or what to invest in. And then the, the final piece was making it affordable. Mm. Yeah. Hate, hate fees. Yeah, hate, hate fees. Yeah. Yeah. $125 brokerage. That Plus GST. <laughs> yeah. 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 We love entrepreneurial stories here at Equity Mates. It's, you know, the other side of the investing coin, really. When you were founding Superhero and, you know, you were going out trying to raise venture capital money and trying to grow the business, what was that experience like? I mean... Online broking, you know, there's more international players coming to Australia and stuff like that. Comsec uh, sharpening their pencil. What was the conversations like and what was the experience like trying to start an trying online to, broker? Yeah, so I've got a good friend who you guys would know well, Matt Lebo. Matt Lebo, yeah. it's from yeah. Stake. So we've spent you know, numerous hours on the phone talking about, you know, how to do this and how to do that. And what's the best way to you know, structure this? And, um, you know, he's US, we're Aussie. So, you know, it's been it's been good to, to sort of learn from his journey as as well as, you know, some experience that I've brought from my career as well. But but really going out to potential investors to raise capital to help get the business off the ground. It was interesting being on the other side <laughs> of the coin, you know, usually you know, I was I was a broker raising money for companies, and and now I was sort of t- I was the one telling the story, and and sort of you know putting the putting the cap out for for capital. So it's been a it's been a pretty interesting one. But there's been a lot of people over my career who have trusted me with you know managing their their money, and and they've seen the opportunity and and sort of jumped jumped in. Yeah, nice. One thing that you're playing a bit coy with there is you've got two big names. I'm sure you've got more than two, but two very well-known names for the Equity Mates community in your funding superhero. Do you want to tell us who those are? Yeah. So through obviously my friendship and, and the, the business relationship I built with Larry from Zip over, over the journey, the conversation with him when I was building Superhero was one that really resonated with him. So so he's an investor. He, he led the, the last capital raise. Just to go back a little bit, when I was starting Superhero, I knew I needed someone strong in tech. So I turned to a good friend of mine. His name's Wayne Baskin. And he was the best tech guy I knew. He was also the only tech guy I knew. <laughs> I still say he's the best tech guy I know. But, you know, I took I took this to him and he loved it as well. So his very good friend is is Nick Molnar, who started Afterpay. So it's sort of like we, we never we never talk about Fight Club. Um, yeah. You know, he's sort of Afterpay, I'm Zip. Um, but there is an interesting dynamic there that yeah. we've got Nick Molnar as an investor as well. I think that all of the people who we have invested in the business bring their own experience and advice over, you know, over our journey and yeah obviously those guys have got a fair bit of experience from, yeah. from you know hyperscaling so yeah the list goes on we've got the chair of, of zip on our on our board as wow. well so there you go yeah. must be nice Goodness. must be <laughs> nice zip and afterpay <laughs> jeez <Yeah. laughs> maybe you should extend out to all the buy now pay later founders yes. <laughs> I, I am a shareholder of both as well, so. <laughs> equity mates we're just going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors So, John, before we jump into the nuts and bolts of Superhero, there is a lot going on in the markets at the moment. Very interesting time for all investors, uh, particularly those that have just started their investing journey. And given that we're going through some pretty unprecedented times and the COVID crash is something that a lot of our audience would never have experienced before, what were some of your sort of learnings in terms of an investing approach or how did you navigate COVID? 
That's an interesting one. We weren't live at the beginning of, of COVID. Wayne and I sort of looked at, at each other mid-March. <laughs> the market was crashing and we're sort of, we're looking at, at you know, starting a business into into all of this. You know, the market just started to, to rip higher, probably more aggressively than it fell, I reckon. I'd seen the market falls through the GFC, through my experience in the GFC, and various falls, you know, along along my career. And I think there's not a huge amount that can fundamentally change consumer behaviour. And we've seen, whether it's a change in president or whether it's COVID or, you know, people are still going to go shopping every day, whether it's online or offline. They're still going to shop. They're still going to use tech. They're still going to use their iPhone. And it's the companies that people can interact with on a daily basis that have really been the standout performers over COVID. And yeah, I, I, I think there's been a huge amount of people who have seen the dips in the past and have jumped in and yes. like sort of bought the dip. You speak about like changing behavior and it's just, it's still fascinating to me that of all the crashes and maybe it's a, this perfect sort of culmination of having the right technology and platforms available and services like equity mates and all that sort of stuff all, all <laughs> we're, sort of, we're an instrumental part yeah. sort of yeah. coming together but the amount of people that showed interest in the markets at a time that it was historically crashing the fastest yeah. it's just amazing really. well there, there was there's been for for a while there's been this whole sort of digitization movement that's been going on particularly in in sort of our age group you know the millennials gen z's you know they've they've all been moving online and i think covid's just sped sped that up massively quicker than anyone ever expected yeah we timed it perfectly <laughs> we, we knew this whole covid thing was coming a couple of years ago and yeah we just did the yeah well in. bryce and i quit our jobs during covid you started a business during covid uh, either we're either dumb or we're yeah. <laughs> very lucky very lucky yeah tell you in a few years yeah. <laughs> so speaking of you founded superhero as you said in the middle of covid where you would expect people were tightening their belts and putting their wallets in their pocket and not signing up for new brokers how was that experience? The overnight success took two and a half years to get there. <laughs> At the beginning of it all, it was pretty scary. It quickly turned around, though. We saw a bunch of our peers start to really accelerate in terms of growth, and it energised us to, to get to market quicker. But, yeah, it's pretty fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So for those who have been, I guess, solely focused on the craziness of the election or have been, I don't know, not keeping track of every single broker that's coming to town, let's just take a step back. Are you able to, I guess, give us the elevator pitch for what is Superhero in case we haven't made it clear enough? Yeah, cool. <laughs> so Superhero is... Officially, Australia's cheapest online broker. Nice. Uh, you can sign up. Takes, in most cases, about a minute to sign up. You may be be required to put in a, an ID document, but your account is set up in real time. You can use Pay ID to fund your account in real time as well. And interesting fact is we we are NAB's largest Pay ID customer now, which is pretty pretty cool. I was like, can you just put that in writing for me? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, making it possible to to set up an account and fund fund your account and be in the market literally in minutes is an Australian first and it's something we're pretty proud of. How cheap is cheap? In terms of being the cheapest? Yeah. Well, yeah. So, so once you're in, it's five bucks flat fee to trade and you can trade any amount. And then we launched about a month after we went live, we cut ETF brokerage to zero. That was really to incentivize people to, to make longer term decisions around investing and to really remove the barrier of making those longer term decisions. We like the fact that Superhero is lowering fees, but I think I 
probably like that perspective more. The yeah. fact that it's you're not lowering fees and then trying to encourage as much activity as possible and trying to clip the ticket every time. It's get in ETFs. We're not going to charge you. Think long term. Like yeah. that's that's yeah. You know that's what we talk about in equity mates, and that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Now we got to ask because a lot of online brokers come in with low headline fees, and then there's you know subscription fees or quarterly costs. So they there's always something in there yeah. in the fine print. What's in your fine print? Yeah, so we try to be as transparent as possible. And a couple of times it's sort of come back to bite us being too transparent just because people don't understand the way that the the industry sort of set up. But we've got a free account, so it, it will never cost you money unless you agree to to pay for something. You could set up an account with us. You can go and buy ETFs and hold them for the rest of your life. It will never cost you a cent. We've got a paid account as well. So for $9 a month, you can have live data across the entire platform. So it's ASX real-time data, as well as comprehensive tax and portfolio performance reporting, which is not usually seen, at, particularly with the online guys. Probably the closest comparison would be, you know, if you had a, an account with Hub or NetWealth, mm. it's the detailed realised and unrealised capital gains this reports. Alex yeah, I'm about, to, I'm about to say this, and I'm not going to call out the broker, but... <laughs> I, I went there. <laughs> you did. Um, I tried to get my tax date, like details, like how many dividends, franking credits, all that stuff for my F20 tax return. They're like, we'll have it ready for you at the end of October. It's like, yeah. guys, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to put my tax return yeah. in. It's no good for me on the 31st of October. Yeah. So I think that's a, that is valuable. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's pretty. It's pretty detailed. It's got all your income. It's got all the franking credits. It's got. It's got a full report of your your entire portfolio. That's what's built into that that nine dollars a month. If you went to, I, I used to have clients who who got got those sorts of reports when I was at Shore and Partners and Macquarie. We used to charge them one percent of their portfolio value Jeez. every year. So, and you know, if there was a three million dollar portfolio, it's thirty thousand dollars a year basically just to produce a report. And then we're charging 1% Jeez. brokerage with 125 minimum plus, hope, plus GST. I, we're in the wrong I, business. I, I, I hope you're not trying to get a job back at Shaw yeah. Partners in the future because you're really calling them out here. Along with fees being very important for our community, something that is often spoken about when people are starting to choose brokers is the whole, is it chess sponsored? Do I have ownership? Is it custodian? And sort of what does all that actually really mean? And maybe when you're answering this, if you can define some of those key terms for people who aren't familiar with them. Yeah, yeah sure. Our approach is, I guess, don't worry about any of it or don't let it be a barrier to start. But yeah. I thought you were going to answer your own question. There. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> How is superhero structured in terms of all of that and what does it all mean? Yeah, sure. So there's two key ways you can own shares in Australia. One is through chess sponsorship or having an individual hint. The other is through a custody account. So custody structures are not are not new. We're, we're, we're not doing anything new in terms of the regulatory framework and, and our structure. We have a custody structure instead of individual HINs. And I mean, there's, there's not really any sort of difference in risk around those two structures. It really comes down to A, personal preference, and B, the services that you can get out of, out of both structures. So having a HIN... There's a lot of manual sort of work you've got to do. You've got to update the registries with your tax file number, with your bank account, with with all of that sort of information. And you get sent about three trees worth of mail every <laughs> every month, where with a custody structure, the custodian effectively takes on all of those responsibilities. Some allow you to participate in, in corporate actions and, and some don't. We offer all of our customers the same level of shareholder participation as if you had an individual hint, except we 
don't send you trees worth of mail. We are paperless. The share registries don't send you, you know, mountains of, of mail either. We actually stand as your sort of intermediary between the share registries. And we've got institutional relationships and, and corporate relationships with, you know, Computer Share Link, all, all of the, the, the major share registries. So what it means is that we're able to, and that, that's one of the key ways that we, that we lower our costs, but it means that we can provide the customer a better service at a lower cost and really take all of that sort of administration and the burden of sort of running in you know the individual in structure off them and really just let them concentrate on their investments. So I think if we can unpack that a little bit further, I think when people look at the difference between a chest structure and a custodial structure, they always worry what happens if like the business falls over? Like what happens yeah. to my shares? Who owns them? How do I get them? Do I get them? Let's talk worst case scenario. Yeah. If Superhero collapsed, what does that mean for investors that have their money with it? So if Superhero stopped operating or, or fell over, nothing really happens to, to individual shares. They're not held on our balance sheet. We don't own them. You own them. They're held in a separate custody entity, which has its own regulation. It's licensed separately to Superhero. It's got regulatory capital that backs up everyone's investments. So if Superhero as a business, our blue branding, our website, all of that fell over, mm-hmm. the shares that are held in the custody account are all, are all sort of there belonging to individuals. There's no proprietary right over those assets. We can't go in and claim them. Administrators can't come in and claim them as assets of superhero. There's, it's completely arm's length. There's, there's, there's regulation around all of that. And it's very rare. In fact, I don't, I've never seen, I'd have to, I'd have to go and look online to see if there's a custodian that's ever fallen over. And that's because there's a huge amount of regulation behind them that that requires them to to sort of be able to to continue. Yeah, and, even and they, if the person who's or the company that is operating under that custody structure falls over. Mm. Yeah, and these custodians themselves are hundred billion dollar businesses with yeah. balance sheets, fortress balance sheets. Yeah. 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 And as an investor, I mean, if we are hoping that fees continue to fall. It just seems that the custodian model is at this stage the most efficient way of allowing that to happen. So, you know, if you're uncomfortable with it, it's kind of like you just need to get comfortable with it if you're going to be searching for those lower There's so many examples in the market already that people are comfortable with. Exactly. So if you look at, to to name a few, there's there's Vanguard, their personal investor or whatever the the name of their business is. Personal investor, yeah. It's all held by custodian. It's held by Vanguard as the custodian. I think IG Markets might do yeah. it. Yeah. CMC, I think, does it. Interactive Brokers. Stake. Um, Stake does it. Self-Wealth's about to launch their US business. It's going to be, I mean, their custodian is actually based in Singapore, even though you're buying US shares from Australia. So there's there's a range of different examples of it in the market already. We were sort of hyper-transparent around how our structure works, saying that there's a single HIN that all assets sit on and I think that sort of caused a little bit of concern around, you know, the HIN versus custody structure. That's how custodians work. That's how they work around the world and particularly in Australia. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, of um, examples that we can turn to around how this is. And I think it's going to continue to go that way. I think we've covered off that question. If people want to get more in detail, do you guys have stuff on your website that people can read yeah, about? Yeah. yeah. So superhero.com 
no.au? It's pretty boring. Superhero.com.au. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Let's move on from that to talk about some of the things that you're seeing on the platform at the moment. So you must have a wealth of data on Australian investors and how they're investing since COVID. So what are some of the trends you're seeing with Aussie retail investors? I think the trends might all change after the last couple of days. For context, we are recording on the 11th of November and yesterday was the announcement of Pfizer's vaccine. So hence that comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the tech stocks, whether it's Aussie or US, they've they've been in favour from day one was the largest holding. Um, Interesting. Zip over Afterpay. Yeah. There you go. And it continues to be the most active stock as well. I think there's probably that psychological difference between Zip and Afterpay yeah, being a $100 stock versus yeah, a, a yeah, 6 yeah. or $7 stock. The standout ETFs on the platform are the NASDAQ 100 of course, and yeah. the Asia Tech Tigers. Yeah. They could even be two and three as the sort of the most held across the platform. So yeah, there's been a huge amount of tech exposure. But if you look sort of further down the list, Qantas is there, Flight Center's there, all of the leisure stocks have been there mm. all the way through. And they've obviously performed extremely well since Pfizer's announcement about the vaccine. So I think people sort of can see that there's a vaccine coming. Mm. So they're, they're sort of loading up in preparation for that. And, and I think the expectation is that they're you know, this this is we're going to move past this whole COVID thing, yeah. and yeah, we've seen people getting sort of set for that for the last for the last couple of months. Not only are we moving past, Bryce just told me he's going down to Melbourne in a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Things are really opening yeah, up. Yeah, but they've got they've got the lowest case numbers <laughs> in, in the yeah. country now, right? Getting out of New South Wales. Yeah, yeah. it's too dangerous. <laughs> <aren't you? laughs> yeah. So, John, another sort of aspect of investing that a lot of our audience think about is superannuation, and we always like to get a feel from the experts that we talk about, how they think about it alongside investing, because a lot of beginners don't necessarily see it in total. How should beginners think about superannuation? Super is a really interesting world. When you open a superannuation account, we're all taught to believe that we're investing, you know, in a balanced or a growth or, you know, conservative sort of fund. Those aren't investment choices. Those are risk profiles. And there's not a huge amount of clarity around what you're actually investing in. So the whole story about engaging with your super really ends very quickly because you can't engage with your super. You've got no way of actually choosing how it wants to be, yeah, how you want to invest it unless you go into self-managed super fund and that is you know there's a there's a high barrier to entry there mm, and a lot of paperwork and you know again no you're gonna have an accountant and auditor yeah. you know, x, yeah. x, y, z. <laughs> so i think it's been a really difficult challenge for particularly younger people to work out what they do with their super and and i think a lot of people feel quite disengaged and disconnected with their superannuation it's not something that people believe is part of their asset pool. You, know, you can buy a house, you can have money in your account, your super doesn't really sort of come into play until you're 60 plus. So I think that could be a really interesting part of the market in the future. Yeah, if you sort of crack that one, it could mm. be huge. Mm. Equity mate super. Yeah. <laughs> Not bad. Yeah. <laughs> so John, before we jump into our final three questions that we finish all of our interviews with, we are very excited to be able to do the next of our Get Started Investing mini-series with Superhero all about brokers and the broker basics. The number one question that our community ask, I reckon at least three times a week yeah. is, 
what broker should I be using if X, Y, and Z? So we're lucky enough to be, I guess, sitting down with you for an extended period to unpack all of the ins and outs of brokers, what you should be thinking about when you're looking for a broker, you know, going through the structure, custodian stuff, all of that. We'll be covering it all. It will be launching in mid-December on our Get Started Investing feed. So make sure you are subscribed to that. Very much looking forward to it. So um, should be fun. Yeah. And we should say we've already tried to get as many questions as possible from the Equity Mates discussion group. But if you do have more broker questions, sign up to our group or jump onto the group and ask them there and we'll make sure we include them. Yeah, John, we've got about 65 questions so far, so you better be ready. <laughs> you better be, those are rookie numbers. You've got to pump those numbers up per episode. Is the answer to all of them superior? Yeah. <laughs> nice one. All right, so stay tuned for that Get Started Investing feed, as I said, launching mid-December. So, John, as Bryce said, we do like to end these interviews with the final three questions, but if people are interested in learning more about Superhero or signing up to Superhero, where can they go? You can go to superhero.com.au forward slash equity mates. Nice one. So we'll jump into the final three questions. The first one is, do you have any books that you consider must read? I don't have time to watch the TV or read books. Um, <laughs> Fair call. The Art of War. Okay. Um, is that what you apply when you're uh, growing superhero? No, it's, it was just an interesting one that, that I read. You know, there's a lot of, you, you sort of got to try and read between the lines on, on, on most of the book. Yeah, but there's you know I think there's a few a few good lessons in there, but yeah, that's probably the the only one that I I can remember reading in the last <laughs> in the last twelve months. Nice one, the yeah. life of an uh, entrepreneur. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Second question: What's your go-to source for investing and financial information? I wouldn't have one other than Equity Mates. <laughs> <laughs> good answer. Good answer. No, look, I, I look at I look at a range of different media outlets to sort of see what's going on and see if there's any sort of biases between them. Yeah, it, it sort of depends. I don't I don't think I'd have a single a, a go-to. go-to. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. And then final question, if you think back to your younger self buying, am I going to get this right? Turbo no. knockout, in turbo in index turbo knockout warrants. Did I get that right? Yeah. Nice. Thereabouts. <laughs> I, I still don't quite know what they are, so yeah, better work. Yeah, if you think back to that, uh, your younger self during the JFC at that time, what advice would you have for your younger self? Start small. So don't start with knockout warrants. Yeah, don't, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't go all in on day one. That is something that we speak about in, in the book that we're writing and have spoken about on the show before is the good news is that it's easy now to start small in your investing journey. So, John, congrats on the launch of Superhero. It's always good to see competitors coming into the market and making it easier and more accessible for everyone to start their journey. So you have our full support over yeah, here at thank Equity you. Mates. We won't be trashing you on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and look, appreciate your time and looking forward to the series on Broker Basics that uh, we'll be launching in December. Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. Nice one. Thanks, John. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Equity Mates Investing Podcast, a production of Equity Mates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Equity Mates Investing Podcast is general advice only. The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances, or goals. The host of Equity Mates Investing Podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed. Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 